As you can see, the reading is from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. If you'd like to follow it in the church Bibles, it's on page 969, I think. I can't see from here. Yeah. So, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Penny. Ooh, Ooh, I'm coming loud and clear there, aren't I? Good morning. Good morning. So, yes, this morning we're going to be looking at witnessing, and um, I'm going to start by just giving us a little bit of a a biblical background uh, to the whole issue of witnessing and being salt and light in the world, and then go on um, and try and be a bit practical. So, I'd like to to leave you with some things that you can can take away and go do or, or go and practice. But to start with, I want to go backwards, and I want to take us back to the scripture that this sermon series is based on, which is that passage of the, or the description of the early church that we find in Acts 2. And I'm going to just read this part just from the, the message. This is what it says. It says, they, as in the, the Christians, the, the new believers, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe all those wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. Um, I would submit to you that this early church didn't really need a witnessing plan or a strategy per se. It was just sort of happening, wasn't it? The place was, was high on the Holy Spirit. It was bursting with energy. It was charged with possibility. What an amazing place. What an amazing experience it must have been. The passion and the love and the dedication sort of poured out of them as a very natural consequence of this, this sort of heady brew of teaching and sharing and supporting, of praying and praising and eating and celebrating. I mean, no wonder that people were attracted to the community and no wonder they wanted to join it because here were people who bore witness to the resurrection, to the good news, and they were naturally marking themselves out as being different from the crowd in a very compelling way and yet drawing others in. So what has happened, dear church? What has happened? Because God is still God and people still need rescuing. So we really have no choice, do we, but to look to ourselves. Can it be that the salt has lost its flavor? That the light has dimmed. 
George Barner is a uh, U.S. researcher and speaker, and he's known for carrying out um, all sorts of surveys, quite well known in the U.S. Uh, he looks at the state of Christianity and the state of the church in the U.S. And he's quoted as saying this, the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing. Now that might seem like a very harsh indictment and, and maybe we feel it doesn't apply to us in the UK or doesn't apply to us here at St. Paul's. But before we let ourselves off the hook too easily, we've got to remember this isn't necessarily about the authenticity of our beliefs, it's about the distinctiveness of our public witness. And whatever we're doing in this country to be attractively distinctive has really not had very much impact on declining church attendance. Uh, the recent British Social Attitudes Survey, and you may have seen this, it was published actually quite recently, earlier this year, shows that for the first time that over 50% of the UK population say they have no religion. And Paul Bayes, who's the Bishop of Liverpool, responded to that finding by saying this, we in the church and all who love the church need to keep finding ways to show and tell those who say they have no religion that faith, faith in the God who loves them still, can make that life-transforming difference for them and for the world. Which leads us nicely, I think, into today's scripture. Jesus' teaching about salt and light is part of the longer passage that we find of his teaching in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7 that we commonly know as the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus stood before the people to deliver this sermon... It was essentially a call to Israel to live distinctive, God-centered lives. They were to be the city on the hill, demonstrating to the world in the here and now what God's kingdom looks like. If you like, the literal working out of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Transforming the world into the one that was always intended by God. And if you read both those chapters in Matthew, and I would uh, strongly urge you to if you haven't or you haven't read it for a while... They are full of instruction about how to live a life that is utterly contrary to how the world works. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek, do unto others as you would have them do to you. If someone demands your shirt, give them your coat too. It's a radical agenda for a completely different lifestyle. And the passage that we've had read to us about the salt and the light. Jesus is saying that, you know, as God's chosen people, which is us, it's us, the church, and individually as Christians, we have to live up to that agenda. Because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Now, apparently in the old day, in the ancient times, salt had uh, 11 different uses in the ancient world. I'm going to go through them one by one in detail. No, let's stick to the, uh, simple, uh, the simple and primary functions of salt, shall we? First, it's a preservative, keeps food from going off, and secondly, it enhances the flavor of whatever food it's added to. So our responsibility is to both preserve the world for God, which is to say to stand up and protect God's creation, his ways, and resist and overcome evil wherever we can find it. And then equally we should be enhancing the flavor of the world through acts and words of love and justice and kindness and compassion and healing and all those other fruits of the Spirit. Salt is only effective 
when it's in contact with whatever it's preserving or flavoring. So being the salt of the earth implies an active engagement with those around us, wherever we are, in work, at home, at school, wherever. And what does it mean for us to be the light of the world? Well, light, of course, both dispels darkness and is a beacon by which people are able to see and choose the right path. So for us, this offers another challenge. Do our lives help to dispel the darkness in the lives of others? And does the light of the glory of God reflect so brightly from us that those who meet, those who we meet can't help but wonder what on earth we're on? Or as Jesus put it rather more elegantly, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's an old, uh, an old saying that uh, many of you will have heard, but it bears repeating. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So in summary, the job description for Christian witness, preserving the world from evil, flavoring the world with God's love, chasing away the darkness, and being a beacon of light that draws people to Jesus Christ. And these are things that seemed to happen so naturally, didn't they, in the early days of the church? But how do we now work in a, uh, to, to influence a culture that seems to have completely turned its back on religion, even become hostile to the message of faith? How can we be visible Christian witnesses in a busy world where we're fighting uh, so many other distractions to even get noticed? Well, it's a challenge, isn't it? But it's one we've got to face up to because this job description is not a sort of optional add-on. It is the mission that we've signed up for when we committed ourselves to Christ. And as Jesus makes clear in the same passage, if salt has lost its saltiness and if the light is hidden or gone out, it's not much use to anyone. So what can we do to be effective witnesses, both as a church and individually? I'm going to talk about three things. One is foundational and two more practical. Let's talk first about strengthening the foundations. Um, and it's very tempting, of course, to go straight into action mode. Uh, many of us all want to do that. But whatever we do out there has to have firm foundations uh, in our own church community right here. So let me return again just very briefly to one of the verses we started with that I read uh, from Acts 2, which is Acts 2.42. It says, They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. And right there in this one verse, we've got what are sometimes called the four marks of the church. The teaching, the life together, the fellowship, the common meal, and prayer. And all of these four marks are essential for us to be prepared, to be uh, equipped to be effective witnesses, both corporately and individually. Because without teaching, we end up conforming to the worldview, and we can lose our distinctive voice. Without life together, without this fellowship, we become isolated. It's very hard to sustain our faith. Without the common meal, communion, that we're going to be celebrating shortly, we're not placing Jesus' death and resurrection at the very heart of our, of our lives. And without prayer, well, without prayer we lose touch with God. We cannot be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have to be a praying church and a spirit-led church or we will not succeed in any effective witness. So Sunday worship, where we, what we're doing now, life groups, house groups, small groups, prayer groups, uh, if you're not currently engaged, then reflect carefully on why not. And believe me, I do, <laughs> frequently. Maybe it's time to reassess priorities. Because that foundation 
is absolutely critical. So having spoken about the foundation, let's talk about some practical things. What does it mean to be a salty church? I want to talk about specific initiatives that we currently have here at St. Paul's. Together, we can do a great deal. And we're working with other churches in the area. These are an excellent platform for witness. So if you're unsure, if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, I do my bit at home, or I, but I really need someone to, to show me how I can step out a bit more, then why not think about joining in with one of these excellent uh, initiatives and ministries? These would be a great starting point. Uh, let me start with this one. Exhibit A. Here's my Street Angels jacket that I put on uh, once a, pretty much once a month at the moment. Street Angels, yeah. Uh, see? You get marked out with this, don't you really? There's no hiding. This is a bit of a badge to, to, to travel with. So Street Angels, I go out on a Friday and Saturday night along with a lot of other folk of you here and others from other churches. There's about 40 of us at the moment that go out sort of four every Friday and Saturday night. There are four of us out in two couples. All sorts of age groups. Don't be put off by your age. However young or however old you are, I think we've the max. I think we've gone up to 80 actually in terms of uh, one of our angels. What do we do? We go out. We mix with door staff and the mainly young people who frequent the, quiet, the town centre late at night. And the ministry is very simple. It really is. It's to demonstrate Christ's love to those who may be vulnerable, or those who may be emotional, or those who just need a listening ear, or just need a help of some kind. Maybe they've drunk too much, lost their phone, lost their friends. We give out lollipops to loud lads and flip-flops to girls who can't walk home in the eight-inch heels they came out in. Some people are sick and we clean them up. Some people are freezing cold and we give them foil blankets. And you know what? These young people typically are so appreciative of what we do. And it's led to some amazing conversations over the years about life and faith. And what a great opportunity it is to engage with people who wouldn't dream of stepping over the threshold of a church. What a great opportunity it is to be doing something that is so well received and gives young people such a positive view of Christ, of Christians, and of the church. It's a real privilege to be part of that ministry. Think about that. It's a few late nights once a month. No big deal. Right, the next one is healing on the streets. And this is one, this is a ministry. I don't think it gets enough airtime in terms of the amazing stuff that's actually going on. So I'm going to invite Keith. Where's Keith? Where are you, Keith? Keith Maynard, who's part of the Healing on the Streets team. So the Healing on the Streets guys go down to Camberley Town Centre on a Saturday afternoon for a couple of hours every afternoon on a Saturday and uh, do some amazing work. And I want Keith to tell you a little bit about that. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Morning. My name's Keith, and I have the privilege of being a member of the Healing on the Streets team here in Camberley. Uh, It's from different churches around the area and and very briefly for the last seven years uh, every Saturday a team two, three or four people um, from all the churches across Camberley and some even as outside of the Camberley area we go out onto Park Street and um, we were drawn to a place opposite the Bear Pub we're still there seven years later and for two hours in the afternoon we simply walk up to people and ask them if they would like any healing prayers for either them or maybe somebody that they know. We have cards, which we give out as well. And we pray, very simply, in the name of Jesus. 
And every week when we meet somebody, we record what we say. This is from seven years ago, if you like, that's the Old Testament. And this is the current one that was in use yesterday, so this is our New Testament. So, that's what we do. Empowered in the name of Jesus Christ, we really go as apostles, encounter the folk of Camberley, pray healing prayers, and see lives changed. Overall, we're expectant that healing will take place, and difficult though it is, we try not to be surprised. And I can say that through Park Street, there are rivers of tears, joy and laughter that flow every Saturday as we meet those people. Folk can move to a better place in their lives, and then God can continue his work in their lives. Sometimes we're given prophetic words before we go out by people who pray for us, prophetic words or pictures, uh, and then many times these prophetic words do come to fruition. And not yesterday, but the previous week, I'll just read for you something that came out of the uh, report that is circulated every Saturday. And it simply says, thank you for your prayers today. We had two separate pieces of scripture sent to us before going out, and both related to touch and Jesus healing through touch. Just as we were thinking that we'd not have the opportunity to pray for anyone, a woman came over who'd been sitting at the Bear Public House and said, I want some healing. She had never been prayed with before, but she said that she'd previously sought some spiritual feeling and she felt that her life was like a pack of cards falling and needed prayer for her relationship with her daughter. The team explained how we pray in the name of Jesus and she was happy to sit on the chair, as you see up there. She allowed us to place hands on her shoulders and during the prayer time she was visibly moved to tears and said that her day would be better for her encounter. And it seemed that the words regarding touch in healing applied to her. So that's just a very practical example of what we do. So finally, I would just like to ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to not only pray for yourselves, pray for us here today, pray for those in Camberley who we meet. And perhaps you yourselves might like to come along and just see what we do and take part in that witness for people in Camberley. Thank you, Keith. Really powerful stuff. And believe me, that one example that Keith just read out is just one of many, many, many things, uh, great things that are happening when we step out in faith. I just want to name check some of the other stuff that's going on where I know help is needed and you might want to engage. So, uh, you know, Carol's here, so All Night Cafe gets, definitely gets a shout out. Great to see open again full time. You're looking for volunteers, right, Carol? Please. And Carol, stand up for a second because if you don't know Carol, 
this is the lady you want to look for after if you can help. The All Night Cafe is doing fabulous work with the homeless and the hungry. And um, people who can go down there and help at the, uh, the All Night Cafe and do some cooking, do some listening, uh, fantastic. Talk to Carol afterwards. Beesom, if you were here for Harvest Sunday a couple of weeks back, you'll know we collected food and household goods for people in the area in desperate need. These are people who get houses from the council, but nothing to go in it. Nothing. So what do we do? And this is right on our doorstep. This is a very practical way we can help. Um, If you're of a financial persuasion, then Frontline offers advice and assistance to help people struggling with debt and welfare benefits. Are you someone that is that well-minded who could be trained to help with that kind of of ministry? And also the Family Contact Centre I want to give a shout-out to because I worked there for about four years. Lovely uh, ministry that provides a safe venue uh, where children can meet with a parent they no longer live with. And, and it's a lovely way for, for the child to meet with the, with the absent parent. Uh, and uh, that, that is run uh, down at St. Mary's every couple of weeks. So again, always looking for volunteers. These are, these are things that are not hugely demanding on our time, but are wonderful ways to witness the love of Christ into the community. And I know there are many others, and I'm not trying to... Uh, uh, th- because I haven't mentioned uh, some organization doesn't mean it's not valuable. But I want to get you thinking and I want to get us mobilized. So that's the corporate side. What about the individual side? Because all of us obviously have the opportunity to be salt and light to those we meet in our uh, day-to-day lives, at work, at school, and with our neighbors. How do, how do we do that? So let's talk about the workplace for a moment. Those of you who were... Uh, how many of you were, were in the life group sessions this week where you talked about um, the fruitfulness on the, fr- of, on the front line? Yeah, quite a few hands going up. So those of you that met will remember, I hope you will remember, it's not so long ago, uh, that the study was actually based on this same passage from Matthew. And uh, fruitfulness on the front line uh, talked about salt and light in the sense of molding our culture. And as witnesses to the gospel, we all have this great opportunity to make sort of mini transformations in the world around us. And the example is given of a, of a research scientist in a large pharmaceutical company who transformed the culture in our own department by the simple act of just bringing coffee and biscuits once a week for the team to share during break. And relationships improved and actually work improved because people started collaborating more. And there are simple things that we can do to step out and be noticed at work, where we noticed for a positive reason, encouraging and comforting others, paying compliments for a job well done, taking an interest in, in people's personal lives. What do they love to do at weekends, their family situations? If we see people struggling with work or with deadlines or with workload, can we do something to help? Can we be the one to bring resolution to conflict, bring people together and make peace? Can we model kingdom behavior By admitting to mistakes, seeking forgiveness, taking responsibility when things go wrong. Again, in many work cultures, that is very countercultural. But each one of us potentially has that opportunity to step up and be noticed for that reason. Um, What about things we can do to witness in our neighborhoods? Well, some of you will be familiar with a guy called Jay Pathak. He's a U.S. pastor who's spoken a couple of times at New Wine, if you go to New Wine with us. Uh, He's written a book called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, And he takes the instructions to love thy neighbor rather literally and says, well, actually, how well do you know the people in your street and the people next door? And if you put your house in the middle of this grid and the two on either side, left and right, were your next door neighbors and the three uh, were the three houses opposite and the three other three were the ones behind you and maybe you don't live in a grid system and work it out, be imaginative. How could you put names to all those people? 
Would you be able to say anything about their family or their work situations? Could you get to know them better? Could you start to pray that God will open up opportunities and create relationships and create more of a community in your own street? Or you could do what we do, Anne and I do every Christmas, and just open the door to all the neighbors. Just invite them in and just create an environment where people can meet. Because it's only by establishing those relationships, just those gestures that we get to know people, but those are often things that nobody else is thinking of doing. Everybody else is too busy worrying about their own lives. As Christians, we can be the one to step out. Now, creating relationships with those that we work and live with is not the same. It's not, it's not having an ulterior motive here uh, to evangelize. Though, of course, we, we always hope and pray that ultimately everybody will turn to Christ. But we don't love our neighbors or our work friends to convert them. We love them because we're converted. And even if those we encounter will never become Christians, we're called to love them anyway to witness to the truth of God's kingdom. But as we build relationships with people, as we step out and are seen to be different, then you, you naturally end up sharing what it is that motivates you and sustains you. And then you can explain why you live differently. Could you be the one to make a difference in your front line, in your community, in your workplace? Mark Russell, who's the um, head of the church army, said this. He said, Your life may be the only Bible someone reads. You are the fifth gospel. Sobering thought. So let's not be afraid to stand out and stand up for the gospel. Collectively, individually, let's be out there. And just some final thoughts on this. One thing that strikes me most about that model of the early church and that description that we read earlier is that people saw Christians truly living out the kingdom and it was attractive. It was something that was different. How can we be that attraction now? How can we do it now? Because at the moment, it seems to me that all we ever get noticed for as Christians is negative things. Have you noticed that? You know, we we mark ourselves out as Christians by the things that we don't do or we won't do or we don't seem to approve of. People know I'm a Christian because I don't smoke. People know I'm a Christian because I don't get drunk or I don't swear. We're known for the cakes we won't bake, for the bed and breakfast guests we won't accommodate, for the patients we won't treat. I'm not saying there isn't a place to make a moral stand. But is that all we want to be known for? And yes, I do realize that positive stories don't necessarily make great headlines. But the truth that we witness to, that there is salvation through the risen Christ, life to be lived in all its fullness, the promise of peace and joy and love, shouldn't that be just as astonishing and compelling and as attractive as it was 2,000 years ago? We are the salt and the light. And it's up to us to show the world that it is just as compelling as it ever was. Amen.